Hey there, it's Dr. Nazanin Mo'oli, and I want to chat with you about a key ingredient for a fabulous date night, feeling sexy. And come on, let's be real. What you wear plays a big part in how you rock that confidence. That's why I'm thrilled to introduce you to Quince. Quince brings you premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts starting at just $30, along with washable silk tops, 40-carat gold jewelry, and more. And guess what? All of their goodies are priced 50 to 80% lower than similar brands. By teaming up directly with top factories, Quince skipped the middleman and hands us the saving. Plus, they stick to factories with safe, ethical practices and top-notch fabrics and finishes. How awesome is that? Picking from Quince's website was tough because they have a ton of fabulous choices. I ended up going for their 100% washable silk sleep dress in champagne. And let me tell you, my husband was floored. He's convinced whoever rocks this is in for a blast. I'm going to record some content on that dress so you can see how fabulous is that dress. Elevate your date night style with Quince. Pop over to quince.com slash sexology for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's quince.com slash sexology to get free shipping and 365-day returns. quince.com slash sexology. Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello there. Welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. I am beyond excited today. This is the last thing on my list before I leave for a two-week vacation in Europe. And I wanted to make sure that I have this episode ready and put it on a schedule before I leave because I think this is a very interesting topic. Today, we're going to talk about sex in an intercultural relationship. Have you ever wondered what the sex is like in an intercultural relationship? Have you all heard that people say opposite always attract? But how true is that? Is interracial sex better than sex with someone within your own race? Stay with us. We're going to answer all these questions and more. Our guest today is Dr. Dana Nelson. Dr. Nelson is an American psychologist and psychotherapist originally from Northern Virginia, who now lives and practices in Lyon, France. She completed her master's degree and PhD in clinical psychology from Penn State University and worked for a number of years in community mental health as well as university counseling center settings prior to moving to France in 2014. While in graduate school in rural central Pennsylvania, Dana met her current partner, a French international student working on his PhD in engineering at that time. I'm going to let her to tell the rest of the story. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Dana Nelson. Welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. My guest today is Dr. 
Dana Nelson. Dr. Nelson, welcome to our show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I am so excited that you accepted our invitation because you have such an interesting niche and I, I love your podcast. Definitely want to talk more about that as well. So Thanks. tell us a little bit about your work with intercultural couples. Sure. Well, so I I did not set out to become an expert in intercultural couples. It kind of happened because of my own life experience. I in graduate school I did a generalist training in psychology, and my my focus was really on psychotherapy integration and psychotherapy process. And I worked a lot in university counseling centers. I, I did work with international students a lot in that setting, but that was not necessarily my area area of specialization. And then as I was going through grad school, I just happened to meet this lovely French man in central Pennsylvania when we were both in graduate school at Penn State. And then I was kind of launched into um, my own intercultural couple experience, which has then really, you know, opened that door for me in terms of, you know, learning about what it's like to be a part of an intercultural couple and then also helping other people. Because after a few years of being together in the States, then my partner then moved back to France for a job and we were apart uh, doing super long distance for a while from Pennsylvania to France. And then back in 2014, I moved here to Lyon, France, which is where I live now. And um, after a bit of administrative hurdles of, you know, getting the right to work and stuff, I opened my practice here, my private practice in Lyon. And because I am not a native French speaker, I've kind of learned, learned passable French now, but not good enough to do psychotherapy in French. My clients are all English speakers, which kind of by definition means that I'm working with expats. And that's kind of how I have built that, uh, that interest and expertise. And so very quickly, I've had to do a crash course in working with people who are living in this intercultural international space. And a lot of my clients are intercultural couples. So that's something that I have gotten really excited about learning more about both kind of from my own experience and then also in, in helping my clients. But it's kind of happened, you know, life is a meandering path and it's kind of happened in a way that I didn't necessarily set out or envision from the start, but so exciting that it's happened because it's such an interesting kind of world. Absolutely. And I love your story. You're not uh, only work with people who are in the intercultural relationship, you're leaving one as well. Exactly. Yep. yep. <laughs> Very neat. And I, uh, Before we were recording, I, I was sharing with you that, oh, I looked at your website. I saw your office. It's just such a <laughs> dreamy, like, you know, how we project our wants and needs, like, oh, what's, what a dreamy Aww. way of practicing uh, nice. <laughs> in France. So I'm jealous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because like working in another country, it also makes you do a lot of things you wouldn't necessarily have envisioned. So my office that you see in my website, it's actually located in my apartment, which I would never have done back in the US. But when I moved here, it's actually not too uncommon for people for even like medical doctors to be working out of their homes. So it's kind of funny. But yeah, so now I'm comfortable with it. But when I first set out, it felt really strange to me to be to be working out of my home. Yeah, more reason to move to France. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah, I could talk about it forever. But let's just detour back <laughs> to the conversation yeah. about the couples. So, mm -hmm. you know, there are more intercultural relationship, I feel now than ever. Mm -hmm. what, uh, what do you think are the underlying reasons for attractiveness towards sex and relationship from someone from a different culture? Is it a, does a stereotype play a role in it? 
Sure. Yeah. And, you know, I think it really does. But I think there are a number of different factors that contribute to um, not only the increase in intercultural relationships overall, but then why any given individual might choose to be in an intercultural relationship. So I think some really basic things that, you know, that are contributing to why we see more and more people entering into intercultural relationships are just sheer exposure. You know, the world is, there's increasing globalization. We have more and more exposure to people from different cultures and more exposure, more interaction makes it more likely that we're going to meet people and be attracted to them and, and form relationships. So I think that's a really practical reason. I think also there is, especially in certain parts of the world, I think there's more, there's increased acceptance of intercultural relationships. Certainly there are still barriers in that area, but we've come a long way from where we were maybe a generation or two ago, at least in certain parts of the world. And so I think with that increased acceptance, you know, there are fewer barriers for people um, than there may have been in the past. So those are some kind of, um, you know, in aggregate, why we might see increased numbers. But then when it comes to like any given individual choosing to be in an intercultural relationship, I think there are a bunch of different factors and certainly stereotypes, as you mentioned, might be one of them. I'm going to mention a couple others before we get to that. You know, I think that, um, you know, for some people, it's really about curiosity, about learning about other cultures, draws them to other people, or a lot of people, um, you know, talk about feeling really attracted by the idea of their partner opening up a new world to them, a new perspective, helping them kind of see even their own cultural views from a different perspective in a way that feels really enriching to their lives. And certainly then, you know, there's also a degree, and maybe this is more specific to the sexual attraction piece as opposed to sort of the more um, just like why we might choose a life partner from a different culture. But there is a sense in which something that feels different and maybe a little bit mysterious can feel exotic. And and for a lot of people, then the exotic feels erotic. Um, and there's various different theories for why that might be. Um, certainly there's some mystery and interest and it piques our curiosity. There also are some theories about sort of physio- physiological arousal when we're around people who are somewhat different from us. There's a little little bit of anxiety that we might feel and that for some people that can, it can be physiologically arousing in a way that we interpret as sexual excitement. So, you know, I don't know, I haven't studied that theory, but I find it interesting, um, you know, that there may be some ways in which differences are sort of a turn on for some people in that way. I think that for other people, there may also be things about feeling like they don't fully belong within their own culture. They feel a little bit of an outsider or not fully understood within their own culture. And so they feel attracted to people from other cultures or they feel attracted to the idea of kind of having this special status of being in an intercultural relationship. It feels kind of exciting and different. And then what you said, you know, I think getting back to the idea of stereotypes, I think it does play a role, especially in how people initiate relationships when they're inter- intercultural. We have ideas that, um, you know, people from certain cultures may be more uh, passionate or more sexually liberated or more sexually passive. Um, you know, we have all sorts of stereotypes that we project onto people. And if we find those things attractive, then we might be attracted to people from those cultures. And maybe we can kind of get into that a little more over time. But I think that that sort of skims the surface of a lot of the different reasons that I think, uh, you know, may explain why people choose to get into intercultural relationships. What a great list, I, because I, I thought about a few of them, but there are many of them that I just didn't mm-hmm. think about it. And the part that you were talking about, the exotic and mystery. And I know for mm-hmm. many people, that is a huge attraction and draw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I know that it's just so also people are so different. I know 
for me, like when I met my husband and he's Iranian, he's more acculturated. Uh-huh. He, he went to school here. And when I saw him, he has this very dark features from mm-hmm. like, you know, like, uh, like mythological stories. I remind mm. me of stories in Iran. I was like, Oh wow. Mm-hmm. I want, I want that. But like yeah. my sister, she, she's married. Her husband is Turkish and she finds the like a very dark feature, like for, from all culture, she doesn't mm-hmm. feel attracted to that. And she feels that mm-hmm. you were talking about the mystery and, and exotic part and not knowing very exciting. And that's how mm-hmm. she finds like, you know, attraction. So that's sure. interesting to see how things are different. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that you're kind of getting at another piece, which is, you know, there's the, there's what we're attracted to in terms of like physical features and feeling like um, there are certain physical features that may be very different from, you know, what we see in the rest of the world around us. So they feel kind of exciting or they may, they kind of call up in our imagination stories or um, ideas of a romantic sort of, you know, fantasy world or something like that. But then I think that there's also this, this piece, like, and maybe they're linked. There's this piece of just even knowing that someone is from another culture, we have all these ideas, you know, like when I say I have a French partner, I bet that you have all sorts of ideas of what he's like that probably aren't necessarily (laughs) accurate, but you probably imagine this like very romantic man with an amazing French accent. Unfortunately, he has almost no accent. Oh, no. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, um, but but like there are ways in which, you know, we that calls to mind all these stereotypes about what we think of from that culture. And we think that, you know, entering into a relationship with this person is going to make my life more exciting or romantic or or something like that in these ways. So there's like the physical features, there's the cultural stereotypes, there's sort of stereotypes about personality, maybe about sexual or gender roles that we have. Uh, all sorts of things come to mind. Probably at a not totally conscious level that we're just like, ooh, sexy, you know? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I think like when it comes to sexuality, our unconscious plays a huge role. So I agree with you mm-hmm. on that. And the other part that you mentioned that was fascinating and very true was like how accessible things are, right? Like at the modern age, you know, mm-hmm. we are able to meet someone across like in another country, in another time zone, we can communicate mm-hmm. and then we mm-hmm. can re- create relationships. So it makes things very different than how things were like 20 years mm-hmm. ago. Sure. You know, even like my partner and I, for example, like I think nowadays probably more people go abroad to study than did you know, 20, 30 years ago, certainly it was being done, but maybe not with quite as much frequency. So we might not have met under other circumstances, but even if we had, you know, if, if at the point when we were both graduating, he ended up coming back to France for a job and, and I stayed in the U S for another two years before I came and joined him. If we did not have modern technology in the way that we do now, I'm not sure we would have really tried to do a long distance relationship in the way that we did. So I think that there are also relationships that are surviving that might not have survived before had we, you know, before we became a more interconnected world. And it's also less threatening to now to move to another country when, you know, like I can pick up Skype and call my mom across the world. I don't feel like I'm quite so far from her. So it's not so threatening to have to move to another country too. Certainly it's an adjustment. Yeah. But but it's not quite what it might have been, you know, a generation or so ago. Yeah, yeah. And you touched on such an important kind of point because of, you know, how accessible and low cost things can be. I remember like 20 years ago when people wanted to call uh, U.S. or they want to call mm-hmm. Iran. It was like like 10 minutes phone conversation was 50, 60 dollars. Absolutely. How many of them you can afford? Yeah, it's not attainable for most people to be able to do that. 
Right, right. But yeah. now with the new technology, we can kind of like Skype, we can FaceTime, it's just so, mm-hmm. so much more accessible. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think that plays a role. So the other question I have is, what do you think about how do individuals in intercultural relationship rate their sexual experience as compared to same cultural relationships? Okay. So this is such a complex question and a good one, but I'm not sure that I'm going to have an easy answer for you. So it sounds like you're wanting to separate out sexual experiences from like relationship satisfaction overall. Is that right? Right. Right. Okay. So I don't actually know. I, I don't actually know if there are statistics on, you know, how intercultural couples in general rate their sexual their sexual satisfaction as compared to same culture couples. Before we get into this more though, I do want to just sort of say that I think that there's so much diversity when it comes to intercultural couples. You know, there there is some research out there that that talks about um, or that looks at people who maybe grew up in the same country, but in different cultural subgroups. So for instance, like two people who maybe both grew up in the U.S., but but they grew up in different cultural groups within the U.S. versus that, you know, somebody who is in a, an intercultural relationship where they grew up in one country, moved to another country, met somebody there, and now they're in a relationship. I also think that there's a vast difference between, you know, for instance, people who, um, you know, grew up in, in more similar cultures where there may be some differences, but they're not quite as dramatic versus people who are in relationships with people who come from such different cultures where there just are really different norms for some of these things. So it's really difficult to make broad generalizations about intercultural couples. That being said, um, I think that one of the factors that really influences uh, sexual satisfaction in intercultural relationships and probably in, you know, monocultural relationships as well is how comfortable and how well couples do at communicating about their sexual needs. And certainly cultural factors do play a role in how couples communicate about those things. They dictate whether or not it feels comfortable to communicate explicitly about it. Um, It dictates whether or not people um, even feel that their sexual needs are kind of worthy of discussion and, and, uh, and something that is, um, a good goal to have in a relationship. They dictate whether or not there are different gender roles around, um, sexuality that make people feel like it's one person or the other person's role to negotiate those things or to be assertive in those ways. So I think that that can be a disadvantage for intercultural couples if they, if they don't have the same expectations. But the flip side of that is that many intercultural couples kind of go in with their eyes open in a way that monocultural couples may not. So in some ways, every relationship is an intercultural relationship because we are all coming from our own family culture. And especially when it comes to things like sexuality, the messages that we get about, you know, whether it's taboo to talk about sexuality, uh, whether we need to be ashamed of our sexuality, a lot of that comes from our families of origin. And even two families growing up on the same street might be getting very different messages about that. So I think that you know, two people who are coming from the same culture may be bringing a whole lot of different messages and expectations to a relationship, but they may not realize it. They may be thinking, you know, we're from the same culture. We have the same expectations. This stuff should just fall into place. Um, Whereas people coming from different cultures, those differences may be more dramatic. So it can cause more difficulties, but they may be going in with their eyes a little bit more open, realizing like, yeah, we come from different cultures. We need to talk about this stuff. And I think that in that case, that can be a real advantage. If 
if intercultural couples realize we're not going to be able to make it if we don't have very explicit discussions about all sorts of things in our relationships, then they, they develop communication skills. They have that expectation in a way that then also impacts their, their discussions about sexual needs. And that can have a really positive impact in the bedroom. So I think it can go both ways. I don't know if that fully answers your question, but yeah. Absolutely. I it kind of brought up so many different great topics. One thing that you mentioned was very interesting was absolutely most of the relationship these days are intercultural relationships. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I work with in part of my practice with couples with different level of acculturation. They're from the mm -hmm. same culture, from like, you know, they grew up, they were born in Iran or in other countries and they moved mm -hmm. here. But because of the age they moved here, their beliefs mm -hmm. are so different, especially Absolutely. around sexuality. And, mm -hmm. you know, people make the assumptions that we both came from the uh, same background with similar mm -hmm. kind of family. So we, we must have shared these values, which is so not true in many cases. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad yeah. you brought that up. And yes, you're right. In many occasions, when people are coming from a very different cultures, they have more awareness about mm -hmm. that we need to have open communications about different things. So we can ha kind of keep our relationship going and mm -hmm. alive. So I absolutely yeah. agree with that. Yeah. You know, I, I will say that 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 does not mean that all intercultural intercultural couples are great communicators about these things. I think that um, you know there are some barriers, and there and there are some cultural barriers in particular that can cause challenges for people in that way. But I I do think it can kind of go either way. I think that culture does play a role, or the the mismatch in cultures does play a role in sexual satisfaction and communication. But I think it can th that role can be different based on how couples handle it. Absolutely. Yes. And if they are comfortable talking about it, especially mm -hmm. around sexuality, I feel such a challenging topic because I know some, some of my clients, they think about, okay, we talked about everything else about like in-laws, about like mm -hmm. different in gender roles, but they think, okay, mm -hmm. sex is sex. They don't think yeah. about how <laughs> diversity, are, the, how their background can plays into their expectation, the way they talk about yeah. the way they talk about sex. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that there are, you know, there are a number of different things that can get in the way of us thinking that, you know, we either can or should talk about these things. I think, you know, there are barriers in terms of like taboos around talking about it. There are, are messages that it's a shameful thing to talk about. I think there's just embarrassment or there's a lack of, you know, vocabulary or even a lack of an awareness of like what works for me sexually. It's hard to articulate to your partner what you want if, if you haven't figured that out on your own. And then I think also there, at least, you know, it depends. Maybe some, there may be different cultural beliefs about this, but I think in a lot of cultures, there is also this sense that it should just be spontaneous. And if we have to talk about it, then that's not very sexy. And so if we have to talk about it, that means there's something wrong. And then it all like that sort of becomes then either a source of shame or a source of, you know, dissatisfaction in the relationship rather than realizing that you know, this is a part of our relationship we need to work on and, you know, tend to just like every other part of our relationship. Absolutely. And the other part that's very interesting that people's ideas about gender role and how it plays in mm -hmm. the bedroom. I know like some of the couples that come in, like sometimes the men, usually women, they, they had this mentality that my husband needs to initiate every single time. And that's how mm -hmm. uh, the sex is. And that's how they learn about like their desire and just mm -hmm. so hard for them to communicate those things to their partner. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And I think that, you know, there, that can be a a challenge for couples who are coming from the same cultural background, because obviously there may be ways in which that puts a lot of pressure on men. You know, for instance, if that's the configuration of the couple where the woman sort of thinks that it's the man's job to be assertive sexually, and it's her job to be more passive or or receiving, um, that puts a lot of pressure on men. It also doesn't necessarily teach men what works for women all that well. But I think that it complicates things even further when you have two people who are coming coming together maybe with different expectations around those things. So for instance, if one partner um, has the expectation that uh, you know, that both people are able to assert their sexual needs, that maybe that's something they can be playful and creative with, where one sometimes one will be more assertive, sometimes the other one might be more assertive, or that they could talk about those things more explicitly, but that the other partner has has slightly more strict or, or rigid uh, beliefs around, um, you know, it's that these are aligned with gender roles, that it's one person's role to be the person who's more assertive, and it's the other person's role to be more passive. That can be challenging for couples in they talk that through explicitly. And honestly, it can be, it can be challenging even if they do talk about it, they can talk about it and and it can be hard to come up with solutions because sometimes these things are kind of ingrained at a level where, you know, I don't know why that's a turn on for me, but it is. And I can see why, you know, maybe it wouldn't have to be that way, but this is what feels exciting to me. And then I think the question is how much are you then willing to do things a little outside your comfort zone to meet your partner's needs, knowing that then they're willing to also meet you halfway as well. Absolutely. In a way, kind of creating your own culture within a relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And the other thing I was thinking about when you were talking about these differences, it reminds me of my relationship when I Mm -hmm. met my husband. You know, sometimes we have this expectation and when the like we're finding these needs are not getting met, we create Mm -hmm. meanings that they're not there. So when I yeah. met my husband, yeah, I met him. I was like, I was wondering because for a few months he wasn't initiating anything, and I was like, mm-hmm. oh my god, possibly he was. He's not into me. <laughs> he's not mm-hmm. attracted yeah. to me. And then like after like few months after we uh we got intimate, and then we became like girlfriend boyfriend. We talked about it, and then he said, you know, my belief was that I heard about Iranian women who come from Iran. They're very mm-hmm. conservative. You should not make a move. And he had all mm-hmm. these kind of things, expectations that mm-hmm. he wanted to be courteous and mindful of. Yeah. Uh, so it sounds like in some ways he was thinking, I want to be respectful of you and and not push your boundaries. And because he didn't know what your boundaries were at that point. Right, right. And yeah. I was uh, kind of translating it to, oh, my God, he's not interested. What's wrong with yeah. me? So it's interesting that when we don't talk about it, even from mm-hmm. my husband and I, we're from same culture, just a little mm-hmm. bit of different as far as acculturation level. But that mm-hmm. can definitely translate to differences. The other mm-hmm. thing that I find very fascinating, how people from different culture express their affection differently. And mm-hmm. I can see how that can cause problem in the intercultural relationship. What are mm-hmm. some of your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, so it sounds like we're talking about affection, not just in terms of like sexual intimacy, but all sorts of affection. Right. And, and I think that, you know, we can, we can include in that 
you know, that there are differences in what people perceive to be intimate also, um, also what people perceive to be affectionate. And again, it, it, you know, I, I want to also remind, remind us that I do still think like all, all relationships have right. some intercultural component in the sense that, you know, different people, even from the same culture may experience different things as things that make them feel close emotionally and things that turn them on. But I do think that sometimes those things are even bigger in intercultural couples. I think that culture teaches us things about uh, what we perceive to be ways to show affection. And so, you know, in one culture, for instance, it might be that that it's a sign of affection to to cook somebody a, a lovely meal. In an, in another culture, it may be really about more about uh, physical touch and um, you know in, intimate touch, whether that be sexual or otherwise. Or in another culture that values talking more, it may be more about words of affection, that sort of thing. I think in some some cultures too, it's it depends on like physical touch in privacy is is really accepted and wonderful, but we don't do physical touch um, in public. Whereas in other cultures, it may be, you know, you don't want to hold my hand in public. What does that mean? You're not really, you don't really love me. So we can have all these sorts of interpretations of what behavior uh, means in terms of desire or feelings of closeness. And I think that when, when we have these messages from, from our different cultures about you know, how do we show affection that influences how we experience our partners and how we go about showing them affection. So yes, I think it sort of goes back to what we were talking about a little while ago with, with sexuality too. I think that it's really helpful to talk about these things. I mean, it, it kind of makes me think of the the classic book, The Five Love Languages. Right. And, and I think that I've never actually read this book, but it so <laughs> permeates like the public consciousness. Right. And I have so many couples who read that book book and they tell me, oh, this changed my life. And I feel like I need to read it at some point, but obviously I'm familiar with the message, but this idea of thinking about, you know, what actions from my partner make me feel most loved are those when my partner is telling me that, that he loves me or using sweet words to show affection or telling me that things he appreciates about me, or is it when he you know, gives me gifts or when he does things around the house that takes some stress off of me, um, that make my day a little bit easier. Or is it when we share an activity together, we go and we go for a walk or we, you know, we do something together where we have a shared experience. There's, there's all sorts of different ways that I might end up feeling most loved by my partner. And then I need to also think about how do I show my love to somebody else? You know, do I tend to show that by you know, doing things with them in mind where I'm trying to make their day a little easier, all those things I just mentioned, you know, because sometimes even for the same person, I might receive love differently than I give it. Although we tend to assume that other people want to receive love the way we want to receive it. But then if we have a, if we communicate with our partners about those things, then we can say, you know, my way of of feeling most loved or, or expressing my love is really through touch. I love giving hugs and kisses and all that sort of stuff. But I know that what my partner really needs is time together. He wants to have, you know, time that we set aside to do an activity together. That's what makes him feel most cared for. And so I'm going to do that because I know that's going to, that's going to be what makes him feel most loved. But how would I know that if we don't talk about it? Right? Absolutely. And communication is so important and kind of not, I think part of the navigating all kind of relationship is showing some flexibility because mm-hmm. sometimes I find the couples get stuck in this cycle of I've, I've done that for you. 
and I, I, you must have loved it. You know, so for example, mm-hmm. for a birthday party, I, I prepared our, this wonderful meal. I threw this party for you. Mm-hmm. You must have loved it. And the partner saying that, no, I just wanted to have like intimate time with you, have fun. And that yeah. was it. And it can, can yeah. things can get very frustrating. Mm-hmm. But I think that we do jump to conclusions that like, you know, my partner, like th- me throwing this big birthday party for my partner means the same thing to him that it would mean to me. Right. And I think sometimes, you know, when we think about, we can kind of almost translate each other's behavior that like, when I take this action, it might mean something different to me than it means to you. And maybe actually, you know, intercultural couples might be at an advantage of like already thinking about there's different ways of communicating there. You know, we have to do some, some translating of each other's behavior a little bit, but I do think that when we, we put it in that perspective and realize when my partner threw this party for me, that was their way of trying to show me that they appreciate me. Maybe that's not what I really wanted, but that was the intention behind that. And then maybe I can experience it a little bit differently than I might have otherwise. And I can say, you know, I so appreciate that, but actually, honey, what I really would have wanted is just you and I to have a nice dinner together. Right. So there's both interpretation and then also like more explicit communication of our needs. Right. And somehow, yeah, also having some compassion and kind of, yeah, helping the, like, as you said, trying to see things from your partner's perspective. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So one of the things that's very challenging for all couples, but I feel specifically also the intercultural couple is just deal to uh, with com- uh, navigating the complexity of the finding is creating a satisfying sex life. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things you recommend? I know we talked a little bit about communication, but what else do you have in mind? In terms of factors that, that help with a satisfying, uh, satisfying <laughs> sex life? Yeah. Yes. You know, I think it's, yeah, communication is like the big one. And I think communicating about needs, I think communicating about ebbs and flows in our desire and our, in our, you know, um, in our sexuality is important too, because I think those things do ebb and flow. I think, you know, one thing, I don't know if this necessarily applies to all intercultural couples, but I think that applies a lot in my work with, with the couples that I see is that a lot of the people that I'm working with also are people who have recently moved abroad or one partner has recently moved abroad. So they're dealing with particular stressors in their life that sometimes then end up impacting their sexual intimacy because one person's under a whole lot of stress. They're not feeling super sexy a lot of the time, you know? And so they may just, you know, have a diminished interest in sex. And so actually like communicating about those things too, I think, and then having compassion and communication through those things is I think really helpful. Um, Communicating about stuff outside the bedroom, I think helps people feel more connected sexually as well. So I tend to think of sexuality as a bit of the canary in the coal mine. You know, if you're not communicating about other things, then you're going to start to notice it impacting your sexual connection. Obviously that doesn't apply to all difficulties in, in, you know, in sexual relationships. Sometimes there are other things going on, but I think a lot of times if there are difficulties there, it's a sign that people are not feeling as connected or understood, you know, emotionally or in other ways. So I think just being connected and intimate emotionally will improve your sex life. Um, It will also make it easier to have those difficult conversations about your sexual needs. So I think that all of that is really useful. Absolutely. And I love that when you were talking about explicitly talking about your sexual needs and desires and taking Mm -hmm. the risk, because I I feel it's always like most of the time it's a challenge for most people to talk about Mm -hmm. sexuality, kind of owning what they like. 
but also kind of like being more flexible, especially if the person is coming from a different background, mm -hmm. they're not necessarily familiar with your sexual template and they might have mm -hmm. a different understanding and also being patient with it. I think with all relationships. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think too, being patient, I mean, this is not quite the same thing, but that just made me think also about, you know, being willing to make mistakes and acknowledge that because I think that in intercultural relationships, we're going to, we're going to jump to conclusions. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to have stereotypes that need to be corrected. And if we're so afraid of, of doing that, if we're so afraid of making a mistake or offending, we can get really tied up in knots and limited. Certainly we don't want to offend and we don't want to jump to conclusions, but I think sometimes it's helpful to have a culture in our relationships of saying, you know, I'm going to be doing my best and I'm going to, we're, you know, we're fumbling around here and we're going to be kind to one another when we point out when we're making mistakes and allow each other to to sometimes be clumsy as we're, you know, making our way together. And because that's how we learn. That's how we, you know, how we communicate. We don't know we've been jumping to conclusions unless we say, you know, I've been interpreting this this way. Is that right? Or, or is there another way to understand it? If we just sit there silently with our assumptions, we don't get corrected. Right. And I agree with that. And sometimes just being mindful and open and present in the relationship mm -hmm. you are, because sometimes I see in the couples therapy that I do with clients, they're coming in and they, the expectation that they had from certain culture was very based on stereotypical things that they had in mind. And mm -hmm. I understand that might have been part of their arousal template, but this is not what's going on in this relationship. And mm -hmm. it's very yeah. important to be, to see the person in front of them for who they are and what they want. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. To know that your partner is influenced by their culture, but they're a complex individual with, with lots of components and they are not in the, they are not a cultural stereotype. They're an individual that you need to get to know and continue to be curious about for your whole life. Right. And it's just, there's so much, I feel like sexiness and uh, attraction and not knowing and mystery versus mm -hmm. kind of thinking, oh, this person is, I know them is that they're this, this way, which is oftentimes people are very complex and kind of like mm -hmm. tuning in can be very helpful. Yeah. You know, that just reminded me of um, Esther Perel and her book, Mating we in Captivity. Yeah. <laughs> I love her too. And you know, it's interesting because like there is this there is an allure in in the mystery and and I think that sometimes that can make people say, you know, maybe we shouldn't get to know our partners too well to keep them a little interesting and sexy. But I think that there's a way also of saying, you know, we can continue to get to know people, but maybe it's more the attitude of remaining curious that's actually sexy. That if we sort of think I have my partner all figured out, that's not you know, that that's not very interesting. And it also kind of pigeonholes them. Whereas if we think like, here is this person that I am never going to fully understand, but I want to get, I want to keep learning about them every day. And, you know, it's like a lifelong adventure to get to know this other individual and try to understand their universe. I think that that attitude can make that person continue to feel attractive to us, even as we become more and more intimate. That is so true. <laughs> I noticed that we are toward the end of our time. I want to make sure that our mm -hmm. listeners know about your practice, your podcast, sure. all the great resources you have. So how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, so um, probably the best way to to get a hold of me would be through my podcast website, which actually links to my practice website. So once you're there, there you'd be able to find all information about, about me in general. And my podcast is called Mindful Expat. And it is at uh, www 
www.mindfulexpat.com. And so that will redirect you to my practice website. And, and the, the podcast is simply a page from that website. So there you can listen to the podcast. You can read articles that I've written. You can learn about my practice there. But that would be the best, best way to find me. Awesome. And I'll make sure I put it on the show notes. Thank you so much for your Thank time. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun. I've really appreciated having this conversation. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Hey guys, I hope you found my conversation with Dr. Nelson helpful. I gave you some ideas about what to do to address the cultural issues in your relationship whether you are in an intercultural relationship or you and your partner coming from different backgrounds. As always, I will love it if you share this information with your friends and family, and I'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.